0: heights to the depths of the
1: sea so this is one big guy and i'm sure as as tall as he is he's probably wide like a refrigerator so this is a a very formidable man and this is the first time we meet goliath in scripture and notice it says that he was a philistine every creature's you
0: Welcome everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. In our study today, we learn that Saul is still king, but suffers spiritually with no direction from God. However, he finds himself in the midst of another battle with the Philistines. The green rolling hills surrounding the valley of Elah still stand today and they witnessed one of the most remarkable battles in all the Bible. The Philistines assembled their army on a mountain and on the opposite mountain stood the army of Israel. Here we are introduced to Goliath the Philistine. He was an enormous man and he had armor and weapons to match his size. He was ready to fight those that opposed him. Now let's join Pastor Rob in Chapter Seventeen, starting in verse one.
1: First Samuel Chapter Seventeen. First Samuel Chapter Seventeen. Because of the length of the chapter, I'm not going to read it ahead of time. Uh, many of you know this uh, event in the in Israel's history, in David's history. Notice I didn't say a story, because oftentimes when uh, you know in the Scripture, you know we think of Jonah and the, the fish or the whale, and we think of David and Goliath, it brings to mind uh, children's church. And it also brings to mind that it's a story, right, because they spend a lot of deal on those things in, uh, in Sunday school. But I want to encourage you that this is not a story. This is history. These, these are things that really happened, Okay, and, and that's why I don't like to use the word story, although I find myself doing it because it's kinda common to say that, but it's it's history. And these things happened, and so remember that. So we're not gonna read the chapter through as I normally like to do if the chapter was shorter. And many of you know this uh this event very well. But it begins with a very interesting time because Saul, as you know. In chapters 13 and 15, we see God uh, really upbraiding Saul for his disobedience, for his impatience. And God tells Samuel to basically tell him he's done. And that may sound harsh, but God expects a lot, especially when when he has a leader, and that leader is not willing to listen to him. That's a real problem. Because we, as people, we need to listen to God. And if you're a leader claiming, to be, claiming any form of leadership, it's important that you're teachable. It's important that you listen. Uh, because um, the despots of the world don't listen. The despots of the world are despots because they do what they want to do and everybody must submit. And Saddam Hussein was one such character. Muammar Gaddafi was another one. Yasser Arafat was another one. Bin Laden was another one. And all of these men are gone. (laughs) They're gone. They didn't even reach old age. And so it's important that we are obedient. And Saul, at this time in this passage that we're going to look at tonight, he was in a very peculiar place. If you remember, if you just look in your Bibles uh, in, in chapter 16, you'll notice that in verse 13 of chapter 16. It says that the Spirit of the Lord, and and this is, again, after uh, God had uh, told Saul that he was basically finished, that a man better than him was going to take his place. And remember, he tells Samuel to go down to Bethlehem, which is in Judah, and to go to the house of Jesse and to anoint one of his sons. So Samuel, being the good man that he is, the obedient prophet that he is, he goes. He doesn't ask questions. He goes, and he, remember, Saul's, or I'm sorry, Jesse's seven sons are passed before him, starting with the eldest down to the youngest. And, um, and not, neither of them were the Lord's choice. And so Samuel says, is there anybody left? And they said, well, you know, David, he's out in the field, he's with the sheep. But, you know, and, and Samuel's like, well, wait, we're not going to sit until he comes. And so they go and they get him, and the Lord says, that's the one, that's the one. Now, see, you and I have known David for a long time. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've heard David, 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 the Psalms of David, the David and Goliath. We're so familiar with David, but I want, to, want you to kind of strip all of that away tonight and, and think of David as being at this time as being nobody. He wasn't the big hero that you and I know of him. He was just nobody out in the field. He was the youngest of his—he was the eighth in his family of the sons of Jesse— insignificant. They didn't really care. They didn't even invite him, actually, to the sacrifice in Bethlehem. That's how unimportant he was. And isn't it just like the Lord to take what's unimportant and that is shoved away that nobody wants? It's just like the Lord to say, that's the one I really care about. I mean, God cared about the other guys, but he's the one. He's the one I, wanna, I want to anoint as king. And so he does. He does. And notice what happens in uh, chapter 16 there in verse 13. It says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil, and he anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And notice, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And then notice the unfortunate thing. Just the opposite happens with Saul in verse 14. Notice, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And not only that, if that wasn't bad enough, a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. A, a, A devil, a demonic spirit, goes and troubles Saul. It's bad enough the Spirit of God departing from you, but then another spirit coming and troubling you? And that's exactly what happened. And that's the condition that we find Saul in. A very deposed leader, uh, being uh, uh, oppressed by the enemy, very unsure of himself now, feeling very insecure. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Have you felt? I I know I have. I felt very insecure at times. And then maybe somebody tells you something that makes you feel even more secure, and you're like, "How low can this day go? Have you had those days? I've had those days so this is this is the the chapter. This is the very place where saul is in he i I liken Saul right now to be kind of like in a you know in a in a lawn chair, and he's just kind of sitting there and his crown is kind of crooked. He's just kind of sitting there you know thumb, you know thumbling his thumbs and and kind of has a deposed look on his face not knowing what to do, how to feel, feeling scared of this army of the Philistines and being very intimidated by this Goliath that keeps coming out into the field and challenging everybody. And this is the place where we find him. And now he is going to be engaging with the Philistines, being in a compromised place, not hearing from God, again because of his disobedience, and there's very few things worse than facing a major crisis without the Lord. That's a very bad place to be. Thank God you and I, Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We we don't have to worry about that because he's always with us. And I'm very glad for that. But this chapter will be a watershed moment for David. This is when everything changes. He goes from being obscure and unimportant to being a national hero overnight. That's like being a beggar on the street and winning the uh, the, the New York State Lotto or or the the, the Powerball and winning like... 500 million, you know, even after taxes, like 239 million, something like that, in cash, in cash, you know, and then you go from nobody living on the streets to being a celebrity. Everybody knows you. Everybody wants a piece of your money. They could care less about you. Let's just cut to the chase, right? But that's David. And not only that, is that he will not only arise from obscurity, become a national hero, but he'll be catapulted to success. And finally, at some point, he'll be taking the throne. But he's still going to be on the run for a number of years, a handful of years before Saul is actually killed in battle. But during that time, he's going to be the arch enemy of Saul. Saul is going to be so jealous of David after this event. And David only continues to rise. And again, the spirit of God is upon him. So there's only, it's only an uphill for David. And Saul is going downhill. Can you see how that could happen? Saul is going downhill. David is going uphill. He's a national hero. He's going to be going out in all their battles against the Philistines, coming back with, you know, flush with victory every single time. The Lord is with him. The women are even singing about him, which is even worse. Because as soon as the ladies start singing and the king hears about it, there's a death sentence on his head because Saul is just jealous to the bone. He can't stand that they're not singing about him, they're singing about this guy. This guy, who used to play the harp for me, play the guitar for me when I was distressed by an evil spirit. Now he's like, what's left for him to take but the throne? But given time, it's going to happen. It's an important application for us in this chapter. Because it's more than just David fighting a battle. This very graphic battle. It's more than just a battle. It's about faith. It's about trusting in the Lord. And that's something that I would venture to say all of us could stand to have more of. Faith and trust in the Lord. And God will give that to you liberally as he wills. You just got to be earnest. You got to be earnest and you got to be prayerful about it. I think so often my my life can be, I can go on autopilot. And if you're a Christian, you can go on autopilot. And we don't ask for anything. Remember when Jesus, when his disciples came to him and and, and Jesus says, "Uh, so far you guys haven't asked anything. Ask and you receive, let your joy be full. But they never asked. And so they never received. I wonder how much they could have received had they asked, even while Jesus was with them, but they didn't. And so it begs the question, even when we were praying for Jovi, if we hadn't prayed, would she have been healed? Maybe not. If she hadn't have been praying, if we hadn't have been praying, would he have done it anyway? Not sure. Maybe not. But we did, and she is. So I would rather err on the side of prayer. It even rhymes. You can make a song about that. Err on prayer. Actually, it's not even erring on prayer. You never err when you pray. You're always making an advance You never err when you pray. And so, let's look at uh, verse 1 here. And it says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, and they were gathered at Sochal, which belongs to Judah. And they encamped between Sochal and Azekah Azekah, in Ephes-Damim. And I'm going to show you a few pictures tonight. And... The picture that you see on the screen, you might want to shut the lights off, or at least the center lights, uh, Scotty. Uh, For those of you who may be listening on the radio, or at some point you will be, basically you're, you're standing on a mountain, you're standing on a very large hill, and you're looking south. And you're gonna see two mountains. And right in the center of the two mountains, going e- going from left to right, east to west, is the Elah Valley. The Elah Valley is is very broad, it's very expansive. But this is just one part of it. But the mountain on the farthest side, the the the, the, the farthest side is Sochal. That's the the mountain that the Philistines were gathering on, and over to the right of that mountain. Over in the clearing there on the right-hand side is where, that's Ephes-Demim. In fact, I'll, I'll show you another uh, slide if you can see this. FS demim is this place over on the right side, and then that mountain right in the back is Sochow, and then um, Saul's camp is over on the far left side where the, the, the Israelites are, and the place of the battle is right there in the valley, and and that's where the battle occurred. And in fact, this area right here, when we do go to Israel, our, our, our bus comes down here. Oops, wrong thing. Our bus comes down here, and we, we go up to here, and we park alongside the road, and we walk down the hill, and we go right around the side of this mountain here, and there's a really grassy plain there where we sit, and we have a Bible study, and, and that's where we spend our time, and we, we talk about this battle that has occurred there. And um, this next picture is uh, actually myself and uh, Jeff Gallatin along the edge of, the, of, the, uh, of that side. And there's a stream that goes right down through here, uh, normally in the rainy season. Right behind him there's a, a trough here, and this is like where the water comes. And this is the stream we believe that David picked up those five stones. We're going to read about that tonight. And, uh, and, and that's where it all, that's where he picked up his stones to fight Goliath. And where that is, let me just bring you back to another thing here. Um, it would be right over in this area, right behind this mountain right here, is where that picture was taken. Right on the other side of that, it's like a cliff there. And there's a, there's a stream that goes right down the center, right down the side there. And, and it goes out all the way over here where David picked up those stones. And so we joke around when we go there, you know, we're always looking for the bloody stone, the one that actually hit Goliath, you know. So we like to play around and have fun with that. But anyway, uh, let's see. So verse 2, it says, so that's the setting of where this battle occurred, where the battle occurred. And verse 2, it says, and Saul and the men, I got one more slide, uh, Scott, after this, and I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. It says, and Saul and the men of Israel, notice they were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elon. And I showed you where that was, over, over here on the, on the uh, left side over here in this area here. And the men of Israel gathered together. They camped in the Valley of Elah, and they drew up in battle array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side. They stood on Sochal, this mountain over here, this far one. And the Israelites stood on this mountain over here, and then the battle was in the valley. What you can't see is about this much space goes right through the middle of those two mountains. And so there's a lot of space in here, and it's a perfect place for a battle, honestly. But in this case, there really wasn't a battle. It was two men coming out. But we'll get to that. So notice, the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, which is Sochow. And Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, which I believe is... uh, um, It doesn't matter. Uh, I forget the name of it. That's okay. So... And there was a, with a valley between them. And notice verse 4. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Six cubits in a span. Depending on how, there's different ways that, that they'd measure a, a, a cubit. It could be uh, uh, 18 inches. It could be 21 inches. So what that really puts uh, Goliath is about somewhere between nine foot nine inches to ten and a half inch, or ten and i I'm sorry, nine foot nine inches tall to ten and a half feet tall. So this is one big guy, and I'm sure as, as tall as he is, he's probably wide like a refrigerator. So this is a, a very formidable man. And this is the first time we meet Goliath in Scripture. And notice it says that he was a Philistine. And it's been a while since we talked about this, so let me just share with you just a few moments about who the Philistines were. The Philistines were a non-Semitic people, which when we say non-Semitic, we mean they, they didn't come from the line of Shem. It's non-Semitic is Shem, Shemitic or Shem. A person who comes from the line of Shem, like the Jews, are Semitic. But a non-Semitic person is someone who came from either Ham or Japheth. Does that make sense? Because you remember Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the Philistines came from the tribe of Ham, and they're recorded for us in Genesis chapter 10 in the Table of Nations. You can go and check that out if you'd like. But basically, they came from the island of Crete, around that area in the Mediterranean, many, many uh, centuries before Christ. They they left Crete. They tried to come down uh, south to uh, Africa to Egypt specifically, the Egyptians wouldn't let them come in. So they went up the coastline and they settled where you in Canaan, modern day Israel. And so they became the perennial enemy of Israel. And so these are who the Philistines are, a very pagan people, uh, who came from Crete or Caphtorum, is is the name of it in Genesis 10. But also let's look at this, uh, This Goliath, where did he come from? Who was he? And again, I'd like to share with you just a proposed uh, genealogy really quick uh, since we're on this um, talk about uh, Goliath. Goliath. But let me back up to... This will be very quick, I promise. In Genesis chapter 6, remember that it says that there were giants in the land, and this is before the flood. There were giants in the land, and the, and the sons of God, the Benai Elohim, these false, we, we, we believe they were angels, physical who made, uh, they, they manifested themselves in physical form, had intercourse with the women, and created this race of people who are the giants. That's who the Nephilim were, the fallen ones. We, we believe that's the case. But notice in Numbers uh, so, so the Nephilim were around in Genesis chapter 6. Before the flood, God wiped the earth out, mainly because of the infiltration of this race. But even after the flood, they, they were still being in, the, the, these things still happen with these fallen angels, we believe, these Nephilim or fallen ones. But notice what it says in Numbers 13, 33. It says, and this is speaking of when the, the Jews were going into the promised land. Remember, there were uh, 12 spies that went into the land. And it says they were, there we saw the giants, literally the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak who came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we were in their sight. And so we know these Nephilim are a race of giants. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 28, it says, where can we where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. And so we have Anakim here in the the, the genealogy, so all we have to do is fill in some of these blanks. And Joshua chapter 15 gives us the filling in of those blanks. It says, now Caleb when they were dividing the land after they came into the promised land, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah according to the commandment of the Lord of Joshua, namely Kirjath Arba, remember that, which is called Hebron. And Arba was the father of Anak. Anak. So we have the Nephilim, Arba, he gave birth to Anak, and then the, the result of the offspring of Anak were the Anakim. And it says, Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, and it gives their names there. And then finally, in Joshua eleven twenty two, it says, None of the Anakim were left in the land um, of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. And where did Goliath come from? Gath. So this race of giants continues. And so we, we can see that... Uh, let me see. Did I miss anything there? I think I got everything. So this is a proposed genealogy of Goliath. And and, and there is some speculation of of, of the last part, but we believe he's uh, part of the Anakim nonetheless. But let's go ahead and move on to verse uh, 5. Notice what Goliath had. He had a bronze helmet, and you can go ahead and shut this off, Scotty. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. 5,000 shekels. That's roughly between 125 to 200 pounds of brass on him. That weighs more than most of you ladies in the room. Uh, actually, if you're, actually, probably all of you. Let me just say all of you. Yeah, that, that's safe to say, right? It, it weighs much more than any of you. So, um, <laughs> well, I'm in deep water here, aren't I? Um, so that's a lot of weight. To carry around on you, notice, and he had bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now, the staff of his spear was like a weaver 's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed six hundred shekels, which is a, approximately fifteen to twenty five pounds on the on, on a spear that he 's got fifteen or twenty five pounds just on the head of that thing i mean it 's like throwing a bowling ball like this, right you get a fifteen pound twenty five pound bowling ball. And you got that at the end of a piece of wood. That wood is probably that big around, and it's got that. You know, I mean, imagine getting hit by that. All I can say is good night. And notice, and a shield.
0: I'm sorry. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the Book of First Samuel.